The Moth is brought to you by Progressive. Progressive helps you compare direct auto rates from a variety of companies so you can find a great one, even if it's not with them. Quote today at Progressive.com to find a rate that works with your budget. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. We all have a story to tell, and the Moth's education program is looking to help young people tell their stories. High school students can develop their storytelling skills with the Moth Summer Story Lab. Join us for a free, one-week-long workshop where you'll learn the art and craft of sharing your own story. From brainstorming to that final mic drop moment, we've got you covered. Plus, you'll make new friends, build skills that shine in school and beyond, and have a blast along the way. Whether it's at the family dinner table or a college essay starter, your story matters. Virtual and in-person options are available to fit your style. Workshops begin in August. Don't miss out. Sign up now and learn more today at themoth.org forward slash story lab. Apply by June 23rd. Welcome to The Moth Podcast. I'm Kate Tellers, your host for this episode. Every week in 2022, The Moth has been celebrating its 25th anniversary by revisiting our history, counting down year by year. In this episode, we're bringing you back to 2003, when we made our first appearance at the U.S. Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen. It's here that we met comedians like Janine Garofalo, Mike DiStefano, Anthony Griffith, and Mike Birbiglia, you'll hear from him later, who would become beloved members of our moth storytelling community. In honor of that, we're doing something a little different today. And to kick us off, let's listen to some stand-up from our storyteller for this episode, Meg Farrell. So let's just get this out there. Go too far. I look like Phil and Jenner's had a baby. <laughs> With a baby. <laughs> I'm aware of it. Y'all are thinking it is fun. <clears throat> Came here to laugh, so might as well bring that up first. In fact, I was getting off stage the other night, and the MC said, it's good to see that the kid from Jerry Maguire is doing something like <laughs> Here's the thing, guys. I do look young. And most people, when I show them my ID, are like, one day, you're going to love looking young. I'm sure a few of you guys get that, right? One day, went to my girlfriend's work event, went up to the front desk, said, hi, I'm here to see Jen. That moment, Jen came up. She was like, hi. I was like, hi. Lady behind the front desk says, oh, Jen, is this your son? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're supposed to laugh. <laughs> It's okay. I do my part. You guys do your part, right? <laughs> got the rules right? Or I'll just be up here chuckling all night to myself. <laughs> Stand-up comedy and storytelling can look very similar. In both settings, one person stands on stage with a microphone and speaks to an audience from their own point of view. But as we've seen so many times at The Moth, what might lift the roof on one stage bombs on another. But this is The Moth Podcast, so let's get back to Meg Farrell and that incident at her girlfriend's work, this time as a story that she told at a New York City story slam where the theme of the night was childlike. Here's Meg. Um, there are two things about me that my entire life have caused most people massive points of confusion. Uh, that would be my age and until I grew my hair out, my gender. Two minor things. Um, now, with my age, I'm, I'm 36, 
and I am forever being ID'd, which I don't mind because like I'm someone who follows rules. I freaking hate people who cut lines. Um, so I don't mind, it's your job, right? But the thing I don't get is the question when people are like, uh, what's your trick? And I'm like, uh, I mean, I can tell you guys, it's like really simple, it's, uh, it's DNA. Um, yeah. And uh, it's not like I was 12 and I was like, you know what, I really like this look, so I'm just gonna sit in like a, a salt bath every day for the next quarter century. It's not that. Um, but gender's kind of my own fault because I've always kind of like walked the line like Johnny Cash did. Like there's this emphasis, infamous picture in my family's house of me and my four siblings and like the three boys are wearing like button ups and like a Minnesota Vikings journey, jersey. We're not from Minnesota. And my sister's wearing a unicorn sweatshirt and then I'm just in the corner wearing full head to toe camouflage. <laughs> so I'll totally take credit for the gender thing. Nah, I think that pretty much catches us up to present day in this story. I'm uh, 29 at the time, and I'm living in San Francisco, and I'd been dating my girlfriend for a year, and we're living together. That was an applause break. <laughs> that was like a major achievement at the time, guys. I know we just met, and you know where I live, but that was a big deal. Um, and so my girlfriend, she... Uh, She's a do-gooder by profession. Like, um, I have a job, and, and she, like, saves the world, and I save money for the bank account. And that's how it works. And I'm, like, cool with that, you know? Like, and at the time, she's working for this, like, uh, nonprofit environmental organization that basically goes into impoverished communities and tells them about all the problems that major corporations are causing in their area and helps them fight them. It's a very, like, a very uh, laid-back, chill job. <laughs> and so for, you can probably imagine that, like, Earth Day is, like, the day. Like, forget about whatever you experienced in middle school. This is the day for them, right? We're talking like non-toxic face paints, <laughs> recycling exhibits. I mean, cause like, let's be serious. Like how much can you fun, have fun without destroying the earth? Like just between us, <laughs> think about it. Like boats, airplanes, like yeah, there's sex, but think about sex on boats and sex on airplanes. <laughs> We don't have to tell anyone about this, but I'm right, you know? And I don't, I don't bring it up often to her either, but I was, I'm right. But anyways, so she was like, babe, you totally have to come to Earth Day. It's like a major deal. And I was like, babe, I'm totally there. And we don't talk like Valley Girls, but that's just to protect our privacy. <laughs> Even though you all know where I live. <laughs> Troutman and Central, I'm just kidding. Um, no, actually that's true. <laughs> I'm not a very good liar. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'm gonna support you. I am there, this is your community, like all of your coworkers will be there. I'm there. And so she like left to, I don't know, prepare the face paints or whatever you do in this situation. And I was like getting ready. And I should tell you guys like later after Earth Day, we were planning to attend a pool party. And like I like to dress for occasions. Like I call my particular style cherub chic. And so she was like, we're going to this pool party. And I was like, I got it, babe, I'll look good. And so I'd like picked out these short red, 
these short, short red shorts. They were like, just felt like right above the knee. And like a tank top and like some flip flops. And this little like red diesel backpack that I bought at $10 at the outlet. And I'm not like, I don't want you guys to get the wrong impression. I'm not someone who likes miniature items. Like I don't have like pug figurines on my bookcase. In fact, if you commented like ill on my backpack, I would maybe punch you in the face. That's not something someone who likes miniatures does, okay? So I just want to set that straight. I don't want you thinking the wrong thing about me. So I get the outfit on and I'm feeling like really good and I'm starting to get a little nervous because it's going to be like all of Jen's coworkers, all of her community she works for. So I show up to that gate and I've got my like hands latched in my backpack and I'm like, I'm going to kill them with my smile. You know, like I'm going to prove that I'm worthy to date this do-gooder even though I have a job and I like money a lot. So I show up to the gate, I'm, very, I'm like smiling and I'm putting it out there and there's like this beautiful woman, she's probably like 65 and she's like, welcome to Earth Day. And I'm like, thank you for having me at Earth Day. Cause sometimes I say awkward things when I'm a little nervous. And so then I look over her shoulder and Jen starts approaching and I'm like, ah, hey. And she's like, hey. And the woman looks at me and she smiles and she looks at Jen and she smiles more. And then she looks back at me and she smiles more and she's like, Oh, Jen, is this your son? Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to be told you look like a child. It's another thing to be told you look like your lover's child. And it's another thing to be told you look like your lover's son. Wrong in so many, many ways. But it must have been right in some way because I, you know, how most girls grow up and marry their dads, I grew up and married Jen, my mother. Thank you. That was Meg Farrell. So what's the difference between stand-up and storytelling? We decided to ask Meg, but we didn't stop there. We also reached out to some of our favorite comics slash storytellers to hear what they had to say. Here's Meg. Hari Kondabolu, and Ophira Eisenberg. I came to The Moth uh, because I was like kind of actually really frustrated in my stand-up. I kind of, well, I kind of sucked and I felt like I was like kind of flailing around the stage in terms of the material I wrote. When I think about stand-up, I think of it as like a gladiator sport. Like, you know, especially when you're starting out, people are, are getting tricked to come uh, to show, to see you with drink tickets that they're handed out in Times Square. Some want to be there, some don't want to be there. You know, they all want, you know, like 60 laughs per second. So the expectations are high. Stand-up was just like a hard place for me to figure out me on stage. Uh, and then there was a moth, which is like a totally different experience. You know, the audience is, most people know, is very loving and supportive. You know, they don't know if you're funny and they're also not expecting it they don't really care they're just here to there to hear like a really good story and I think it was took some pressure off of me uh to sit in that environment and try it oftentimes in stand-up they tell you to uh, cut the fat right meaning that just try to get to that punchline um as quickly as efficiently as possible make sure there's enough information for the joke to work the fat oftentimes is the tastiest stuff. It's the most interesting stuff, but it's unnecessary for the goal of stand-up comedy 
But when I'm telling a story, all of a sudden I get to put that stuff in. And I think that my stories are much more three-dimensional when I'm telling them in a storytelling format with a different set of expectations. The thing I love about stand-up, of course, is just the immediacy. You get up there, you've crafted jokes, you've written out ideas, you have takes on the way we live, on your own experience that you've put into a joke form and you're in front of this audience and you throw it out there and you get an immediate response. What I love about storytelling, I say these are kind of um, different muscles in the same muscle group. So storytelling allows vulnerability. And I don't think stand-up allows vulnerability in the same way that storytelling does. In stand-up, you know, we fudge the truth a lot um, because, again, the goal is laughter. And, and I do believe in this idea of, um, with stand-up, this is something my friend Nato Green said once, we skew truth to bring out greater truths. And I think I'm, I'm paraphrasing that, but the idea being that, like, even if you play with details, you do so because there's something bigger to say there. With storytelling, the goal, I think, is to be honest, to actually share your life with people and don't worry about laughing. It's about truth. And that's really admirable. And to have an audience that has that expectation for truth as opposed to simply where it, it's... It's not to insult stand-up, but to have an audience that has the goal to hear truth and not have the expectation to just laugh, it changes the thing altogether. It changes what the performance is, and I really appreciate that. I guess I consider myself a stand-up comic first just because I've been doing that for so long, but I often say storyteller now um, that, you know, you, say, you can say storyteller and people understand what you mean. I don't know if there's one that I prefer. Um, I think I would like to say insurance salesman when I'm at a cocktail party, because sometimes you don't feel like getting into the next part of the conversation when you say, I'm a comedian or storyteller. You kind of just want to talk about other things. <laughs> I think I thought I was a comedian, and then I thought maybe that I was a comedic storyteller. And now I'm just I may be confused or I'm more of a storyteller who tells some funny bits. I don't know. <laughs> but I do think that doing storytelling has definitely made me a better comedian. Material-wise, I figured out that even in stand-up, I need a point, a theme, or something to like carry the audience through my set. It really helped me understand how to you know, build my set differently. Uh, I think before I was kind of flailing around not knowing what I was talking about or switching topics and there was no like higher uh greater denominator that's not really a word higher there was no higher goal I guess that was Meg Farrell Hurry Kondabolu and Ophira Eisenberg we wanted to dive a little deeper into laughing at the moth to do that our artistic director Catherine Burns talked a bit with one of our longtime storytellers here's Catherine in conversation with Mike Brabiglia so let's talk about how we first met, which is your very first moth, all the way back in 2003. The moth was making our debut at the Aspen Comedy Festival, which I think was called the U.S. Comedy Arts Festival, officially. And if, I, if I'm, I'm right, this is your first time actually telling a story versus stand-up. And you didn't know it at the time, but it was my first time directing a story. Yes. And you <laughs> taught me 
how to tell a story. And it ended up being a story that I told uh, as part of my solo show, which is now a Netflix special called My Girlfriend's Boyfriend. And you you coaxed me into telling this story. And I always I always tell young storytellers, tell the story that you're uncomfortable telling. And you, and you convinced me of that. Uh, are there things that you love about storytelling in the sense when you're up, uh, you're on Lee Considers, you know, Broadway stage doing a show versus when you're, I know you sometimes you run around practicing chunks of it over years and years and years in comedy clubs. It's like, is there something? I like both of them. They're both for development. They're both really interesting. And I find like the moth, I find the moth audiences over the years, I found to be a mixture of those two things. Like I think there's a conviviality to the moth and like a supportiveness that like you almost don't find anywhere else on the planet. Yeah. Like I, I think as as seminal as the storytellers are to the moth community, I think that the moth audiences are equally seminal. Amen. Yeah, I believe it's Bliss Broyard, who's a longtime storyteller and um, founding like board member. She said that she feel she feels it's like at every single moth, it feels like everybody's holding hands under the table. Yes, exactly. <laughs> No, it, it couldn't be more true. I mean, it's like the more that an audience indulges like going there with you on something that's challenging for you to tell, the more the looser you get as a storyteller and the more you open up to them. So it's this kind of mutually uh, helpful experience between storyteller and audience. I think that's true. I think the storytelling audiences reward you for being vulnerable. Yes, in such a huge way that comedy club audiences don't always. No, no, no. <laughs> especially if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> no, think, and, you know, and, yeah. and it's funny because even when I told, I did the uh, the cemetery show a couple of years ago with you, the outdoor cemetery moth show. Yeah. And it was really interesting because like, I was telling a story that I had worked on you know, in clubs and theaters and things like that about the YMCA pool. It's actually a story that's in my new show. And and you had actually, when you were working with me, you were like, you might want to pull back that joke or pull back that joke. And and at the time, I remember thinking, you know, I'll do it, but I, I don't know if that's exactly right. And then sure enough, like I did the show and I was like, no, Catherine's absolutely right. Like that ultimately the moth audience is is willing to laugh, but I feel like the moth audience is really interested in what's next. Yeah. I think that's true. I actually recently identified a new storytelling problem. <laughs> there were some people who approached storytelling as here is a string of jokes I want to make and I'm yeah. going to choose a narrative to let me hit every joke. Yes. Whereas the funny people who are really su successful at the moth do just the opposite. They're like, this is a story that I want to tell and I'm going to include the jokes that actually support it and are very organic and just yes. flow into it. But if there's a joke that takes me out of it, you know, that that actually the jokes are there to support the story and not the reverse. And so when I realized that, I was like, yeah, I have to go back in and see if I can get some of them to work. <laughs> but yeah, it was sort of, it was interesting. No, it's funny because in a moth story, I feel like the mark of a, of a successful comedic moth story is that there's three or four jokes that land as opposed yeah. to a stand-up act where it's like, you you better have a joke every 30 seconds. Totally. And a big laugh or else you're just, it's over. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> it's it's very true. Um, do you find one genre, genre or the other to be more honest? You know, that's a great question. I've, I've actually never, 
uh, I've never really thought about that. I, I think like, I think there's something about the moth audience where they, they, they crave confessions, you know, like there's something about, uh, conf- you know, confessing something to an audience in my case, like with that first story, it's like my first girlfriend in high school told me not to tell anyone that she had another boyfriend and like that's <laughs> embarrassing you know and it's like i'm literally i'd never said that to anybody before like or i told close close friends and and in the case of like the sleepwalking story that i told years later like i jumped through a second story window and it's like that's a confession it was i sleepwalked through a second story window is like it nearly killed me i was really embarrassed that people would judge me as having this thing that was like a like terribly wrong with me. And I think that I find that that the, the the moth environment kind of fosters that kind of a confessional format. Yeah. You can find stories from every comedian we spoke to for this episode on our website. Now I'll tell you a little more about each of them. Meg Farrell is a Portland, Oregon-based storyteller, comedian, and writer. Meg was selected to perform at Upright Citizens Brigade's stand-up Smackdown, Mortified, and Amateur Night at the Apollo. She is a five-time winner of the Moth Story Slam and holds two Grand Slam titles. Meg has nabbed a mention in the New York Times and even caught the attention of documentary filmmaker Morgan Spurlock, who cast Meg in his Webby-nominated series Failure Club, a year-long online documentary featuring seven people pursuing lifelong dreams and conquering the fear of failure in the process. Hurry Kondabolu is a comedian, writer, and podcaster based in Brooklyn, New York. The New York Times described him as one of the most exciting political comics in stand-up today. In 2017, he released his critically acclaimed documentary, The Problem with Apu, which helped spark a global conversation about race and representation. His stand-up special, Warn Your Relatives, is available on Netflix. If you want to see him live, he'll be performing live on October 9th in Des Moines, October 13th through 15th in Denver, Colorado, and on October 27th in Ithaca, New York. More information at hurrykondabolu.com. Ophira Eisenberg is a stand-up comedian and writer. She hosted NPR's Ask Me Another for nine years and is a frequent host of the Moth Story Slams in New York City. Her new podcast, Parenting is a Joke, launches October 18th and is co-produced by iHeartRadio and Pretty Good Friends. Writer and comedian Mike Brabiglia is best known for his one-man show, Sleepwalk With Me, called Simply Perfect by the New York Times. You can also see his new Broadway show, Old Man and the Pool. Previews begin October 25th. And you can learn more about it at MikeBrabigliaBroadway.com. Mike has been a part of the moth community since 2003 and also contributes to This American Life. If you'd like to learn more about storytelling, humor, and so much, check out our latest book, How to Tell a Story, available wherever you get your books. Just go to themoth.org slash books, and we'll have all the links. We couldn't close out this moth episode on comedy without a moth joke. So here are my kids. Why did the moth... Um, nibble a hole in the carpet. Nibble a hole in the carpet. He wanted to see a floor show. Very good, kiddos. From all of us here at The Moth, have a story-worthy week. Kate Tellers is a storyteller, host, senior director at The Moth, and co-author of their fourth book, How to Tell a Story. Her story, but also bring cheese, 
is featured in The Moss, All These Wonders, True Stories About Facing the Unknown, and her writing has appeared in Mick Sweeney's and The New Yorker. This episode of The Moth Podcast was produced by Sarah Austin Jeunesse, Sarah Jane Johnson, Catherine Burns, and me, Mark Sollinger. The rest of The Moth's leadership team includes Sarah Haberman, Jennifer Hickson, Meg Bowles, Kate Tellers, Jennifer Birmingham, Marina Cluche, Suzanne Rust, Brandon Grant, Leanne Gully, Inga Glodowski, and Aldi Caza. All Moth stories are true, as remembered by their storytellers. For more about our podcast, information on pitching your own story, and everything else, go to our website, themoth.org. The Moth Podcast is presented by PRX, the public radio exchange, helping make public radio more public at prx.org.